East New York is a notoriously tough Brooklyn neighborhood, and in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, it had an equally corrupt local precinct, the 7-5 or 75th Precinct, home to many of the wrongful convictions of notorious NYPD detectives Luis Garcella and Stephen Camille. On March 28, 1998, Nelson Cruz was out in the neighborhood with some friends celebrating his 17th birthday over Chinese food when they heard gunshots close by. So close, in fact, that they saw the police swoop in immediately to get the situation under control. A police officer had seen the actual muzzle flash of the gun in Eduardo Rodriguez's hand. Trevor Vieira, a man in his mid-twenties known for stick-ups, was lying dead in the street. Rodriguez was brought in for questioning where Scarcella and Camille turned what should have been an open-and-shut case into another horrific wrongful conviction. With the false testimony of a man who didn't even know police were on scene to arrest Rodriguez, and in spite of the testimony of that uniformed police officer stating that Nelson Cruz was definitely not the shooter, Nelson was convicted and sentenced to 25 years to life. And if matters couldn't get any worse, despite a mountain of new exculpatory evidence, the judge who oversaw his most recent appeal suffers now from early onset Alzheimer's, which has impaired her ability to follow the case and set Nelson free. This is Wrongful Conviction with Jason Flop. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, And me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see See what music does to people. It gives me a lot of hope. If you liked Locatora before, you're going to love Season 9. Subscribe to our show and you'll see why Locatora is your prima's favorite podcast. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elia Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your host of TMI. 
And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Hello, this is a prepaid collect call from an inmate at New York State Department of Corrections and Community Supervision. This call is subject to recording and monitoring. To accept charges, press 1. To refuse charges, press 2. Thank you for using Securus. You may start the conversation now. Welcome back to Wrongful Conviction with Jason Flom. That's me. I'm your host. Today, we have a deeply, deeply troubling situation to talk to you about. Today, we're on the phone with Nelson Cruz, an innocent man who's been in prison for about 22 years now in New York State. And I'm going to introduce now to you an attorney who I have a tremendous amount of respect for, who I'm proud to work with on a day-to-day basis on various cases, including this one. Justin Bonus, welcome to Wrongful Conviction. Good morning, Jason. How are you? I'm all right, thanks. I'm glad to be here with you. And most of all, I'm glad to be here with the man of the hour, Nelson Cruz. Nelson, I'm sorry you have to be here under these circumstances, but I'm really glad you're here to tell your story. So welcome to Wrongful Conviction. Good morning, Jason. And um, which prison are you in now? Woodburn Correctional Facility, upstate New York. Can you take us back to that time? I was in 10th grade at the time. It was a nice night in March 28th, 1998, the day before my birthday. Me and, like, three of my friends, we walked around the corner to the Chinese restaurant to purchase some food. And me and uh, my friends was, you know, laughing and joking like we usually do. We stepped outside and uh, shots were fired down the block on Bradford and Pickett. And when I looked, I seen a police officer car that pulled up immediately and was getting the area under control. And I seen that they had a Spanish guy on the floor. And uh, they was arresting the guy. However... About uh, four in the morning, homicides contacted my mom, told my mother they wanted to interview me for the murder. And I was like, how can this be? I don't have nothing to do with the situation. So my big brother said, we're going to get an attorney. We're going to go down to the precinct. Don't go down there by yourself because, you know, the 75th precinct is dirty. I said, fine. And on April 3rd, I voluntarily went to the precinct with the attorney and went to a lineup. And I never seen the streets again. Justin, I want to turn to you because this case is the definition of an open and shut case. It should have never even been anywhere near Nelson or his family because they knew from day one exactly who did it. Can you explain what I'm talking about here? This murder happens March 28, 1998 at 11.15 at the corner of Bradford and Pickin. Two cops in a patrol car, Officer William Pietti, actually watches uh, the man with the ponytail, who we later find out is Eduardo Rodriguez, firing the gun, sees the muzzle flare towards Bradford and Pickin, which is where the deceased Trevor Vieira was found. Pietti actually arrests Eduardo Rodriguez, tells him to drop the gun, and Officer Palmieri chases a black man, I guess, who runs away. These are what the two cops say at 1.30 and 1.45 in the morning when they're interviewed by none other than Detective Louis Scarcella and Detective Stephen Kimmel. And just to tell you who those men are, I mean, they're probably some of the most storied police officers in the country when it comes to wrongful convictions in relation to homicides. 
And Louis Scarcella with Camille shows up at the scene at 11.55. They are totally involved with this case. Scarcella and Camille are at the precinct with Rodriguez. Rodriguez, at around 3 o'clock in the morning or so, actually makes a statement. Another witness, William Johnson, who later testifies that Nelson wasn't at the scene, he was an eyewitness arrested at the scene. He was interviewed, does not indicate anything about Nelson Cruz. So the first person to actually name Cruz is Eduardo Rodriguez. And then there was a third witness. His name is Andre Bellinger, who was interviewed at something around 345 in the morning. And he says Nelson as well. Nelson turns himself in on April 3rd. He's barely 17 years old. Mark Brooks runs the lineup. He is allegedly the lead investigator out of the 75th because Stephen Camille is the lead investigator for Brooklyn North. And how you understand the politics between Brooklyn North and the local precincts is one detective from Brooklyn North would work with a precinct detective. So Stephen Camille was the lead partner detective with Mark Brooks, who was the detective from the 75th precinct. And Louis Scarcella was Stephen Camille's partner from Brooklyn North. You know, so what we have happen is a lineup that's conducted. And Andre Bellinger is the only witness that comes in to view the lineup. So little does Nelson know he's going right into the eye of the storm here. You were living through this, a 10th grader. I mean, can you take us back to what you were thinking and feeling at that time, starting on the 3rd when you turned yourself in? Yes, Jason. So I go into the precinct, and I'm sitting down, just waiting for the detective to go look for some fillers for the lineup. Scarcella, he's on his desk with his feet kicked up, smoking a cigar. i never forget this. He, he's smoking a cigar, and he asked me, uh, you not scared to be here? I said, no, I wouldn't be here if I committed this murder. He shook his head, said, all right. After they got the fillers, we went into the lineup. I got picked out, of course, by Andre Billinger. And... My attorney explained to me, listen, don't say nothing to these detectives. The only thing that you're supposed to say to them is your name and address. So they kept me in the bullpen for a little while, for a couple hours. And they took me out the bullpen and then bring me right back into the lineup room. And they cuffed me into like a little rail inside a lineup room. And so our seller brings a paper into the room and uh, he's telling me, listen, we already know what happened. Just sign it and you will be leaving. So I tell Scarcella that I'm, I'm not signing anything. He gets a little frustrated, so you got Shamil trying to play the good cop. He's telling me, listen, just sign it and uh, you'll be walking out. We already know what happened. So I tell him again, I'm not signing anything. Scarcella get a little frustrated, crumble the paper, and slaps me in the face with this. Again, he's telling me, you know, hostile, just sign the paper you be. And I'm like, I'm not signing anything. They left me in a room for like a half hour. They bring me back into the bullpen. And about maybe like an hour after that, they put me into a van. They driving me to uh, Central Brooklyn. And later on, when I get my voluntary disclosure form, I see that they put a DD-5 report in it stating that I made a spontaneous statement. The statement stays on to the fact that I got shot in my leg and I shot the guy and ran. And I'm looking at it, I'm telling my attorney, I never said any, any of this to these detectives, never, never said any of this. And the statement that he attributes to Nelson is the same type of language that's in all of these Scarcella and Camille cases when you have these quote-unquote confessions. And by the way, I have to say this before I get back to Justin. It sounds to me like you did everything right. You did what we always ask people to do on this show. Don't talk. You didn't sign a piece of paper, although it sounded like a pretty good offer, like to a kid in 10th grade. So you did everything right and the system failed you anyway. Justin, do you have a theory on how this Rodriguez character could have possibly convinced the detectives that, I mean, my mind goes to a pretty dark place here, but why did he finger Nelson? 
The only theory I have is Rodriguez knew who Nelson was, and he just pinned it on somebody that maybe looked more like him than anybody else did. But one other thing about Eduardo Rodriguez, the 75th was very familiar with him. He had multiple arrests from the 75th, robbery, I believe, in 1990, and then a drug conviction in 95. He was on parole at the time of this murder for that drug conviction from 95. They knew him and uh, they might have found him to be useful. And in this case, they didn't want to put him in jail. I mean, that's clear because they could have, they should have. It was their responsibility to do so. And instead, they decided to pin it on an innocent man named Nelson Cruz, which was standard operating procedure for them at that time anyway. The 75th, as Nelson said, is notorious. The quote from Michael Race when he was the head of that squad from the early 80s into the early 90s, he was involved with 750 homicide investigations and only one time did they actually follow the rules? So Rodriguez tells them, I didn't do it. And they bring Andre Bellinger in. He gives them the information that they want to hear. And what we know about Andre Bellinger is in 1981, Andre Bellinger was charged with murder and he only does a one and a half to three. At the time of Nelson's arrest, Andre Bellinger was working with the PAL, which is the Police Athletic League. And he lived only two blocks away from the 75th precinct. And what we know from the hearing, what Detective Brooks testifies to is right before the lineup, Scarcella and Camille, they're alone with Andre Bellinger. So now we have to get to the trial. A New York City police officer testified that they had not seen Nelson Cruz at the scene. I'm going to read the testimony here. Nelson, your lawyer walked the officer through what happened. He said, did you see the muzzle flashes of the gun? He answers, I saw muzzle flashes. And you jumped out of the car almost immediately upon hearing the shots, correct? And the officer says, correct. Your gun drawn? Officer says, yes. Did you ever see Nelson Cruz on the scene? No. Did you ever see Nelson Cruz with a 9mm handgun in his hand? No. You did see Eduardo Rodriguez with a 9mm handgun in his hand, correct? Yes. As a matter of fact, you were pointing your 9mm at him, correct? Officer replies, correct. Because he had a gun in his hand, correct? Correct. And you were screaming at the top of your lungs, drop the gun, drop the gun, correct? Officer replies, correct. Now, that is some of the most powerful testimony I have ever heard. And all of it serves to prove that you could not, did not commit this crime. You know, as you just read the testimony, I I, I remember this like yesterday, and I'm still confused, Jason. The only witness against me was not. Eduardo Rodriguez at my trial, they used Andre Billinger. And when you ask Andre Billinger that states he was there from the beginning to the end, did you see police on the scene? He states no. We asked him, did you see anybody get arrested on a crime scene? He states no. So in my mind, it's like, what crime scene was this guy in? How could you be confused as to whether or not there were police officers? He wasn't confused. He said there weren't, but there were. This is not a thing you could mix up like the color of the shirt the guy was wearing, you know? Bellinger, his story is that Nelson gets into it with a guy named Shaq and that Nelson drives his car, comes back around and then gets into it with Vieira. Bellinger says that Nelson accused Vieira of giving Shaq a gun, that Nelson just kills Vieira. That's basically Bellinger's story. No one else says that. No one. And what's interesting is Shaq actually came to testify in 2019 and he said he never had a fight with Nelson Cruz. So that was a made-up story. And what corroborates what Shaq says is when Andre Bellinger speaks to the Conviction Review Unit in 2015, says he says he can't even remember the incident with Shaq, which is the whole basis of this altercation. This case is a joke. 
Okay. Bellinger was also the least credible witness, not just because of his background, but also because Bellinger testified that the police told him who to identify. And Bellinger also testified that he'd only been able to identify the murder weapon as a nine millimeter gun because the police had told him that's what it was. They didn't know the gun that Rodriguez was arrested with was the murder weapon until just before Nelson's trial. And this is a common theme in policing from the NYPD is they don't do any forensic investigation. Okay, so the ballistics from the nine millimeter that Rodriguez is caught with match the shell casings that murdered Trevor Vieira. When the police officer testified, he states that he didn't see me at all. He didn't see me with no gun. He stated who he seen with the gun. I'm like, all right, I'm going to go home. And at the end, when the jury came back with the guilty verdict, just couldn't believe it. And get sentenced to 25 to life. You got the guy with the smoking gun. All five shell cases matched that gun. I still can't believe it. This episode is brought to you by Stand Together. Stand Together is a philanthropic community dedicated to helping people improve their lives. For more than 20 years, Stand Together and its partners have been on the front lines of criminal justice reform. By empowering people to take action, supporting nonprofits, and working with businesses, Stand Together tackles the root causes of problems in our communities and empowers those closest to the problems to drive solutions. Solutions like reducing unjust prison sentences through the First Step Act, empowering community-based programs that help people re-enter society, and now working to bridge divides in our communities. To learn how you may get involved, visit standtogether.org conviction. This episode is underwritten by the AIG Pro Bono Program. AIG is a leading global insurance company, and for over a decade, the AIG Pro Bono Program has provided thousands of hours of free legal services and other support to nonprofit organizations and individuals most in need. More recently, the program added criminal and social justice reform as a key pillar of its mission. Nelson didn't exactly take this lying down. Instead, you got busy behind bars, right? I mean, tell us about the actual innocence group. Like I said, I was sentenced to 25 years to life. Uh, I come upstate, didn't know anything about the law. And I'm just sitting in the law library asking for help and, you know, reading a lot of statutes and trying to familiarize myself. So... I ran across, you know, a lot of good guys, and they teach me about the laws. And at the same time, I'm trying to gather up my evidence to submit my uh, affidavits to the appellate division at the time. My direct appeal was pending, but I couldn't because, you know, my family, we're not rich. We're not rich. We, we don't got money like that to be hiring private investigators. So I had my mother. She was, you know, going into these dangerous projects, looking for my friends, looking for people that was at the crime scene that night. And... With the help of my mother, I was getting phone numbers, and with the phone numbers, I was contacting people gathering evidence. I had got about maybe two, like two, three affidavits at first, and then my brother laid on. We had hired a private investigator to locate these witnesses and get affidavits from them. And as I'm submitting these motions to the court, I'm getting shot down. I'm losing hope, but I'm still fighting. Because I said, listen, something, one day something got to give here. I know I ain't commit this crime. And through the course of the years, me being in prison, I'm hearing of a guy named Bush, which is Derek Hamilton. I don't know if you're familiar with him. He's a jailhouse lawyer. 
And I'm like, wow, I got to meet this guy because I heard he's a beast with the law. So I end up meeting Derek Hamilton in the law library. And we exchanging information, D5 and stuff like that. And I'm explaining to him about my case. He reviewed my DD5. He sees that Scar Seller name is in the bottom. He's like, wow, this guy's in my case. He lied on me on my case. And he's fighting actual innocence, the same thing. So we leave Shawangunk. We end up in Auburn. When we go to Auburn Correction Facility again, I'm in Law Library. And I meet Shabaka. Shabaka's there. A guy by the name of Danny Rinkong there, also fighting his innocence. And Derek ended up arriving. That's when we came up with the name Actual Innocent Team, AI Team. And uh, what we was doing was, like, one day we'll work on my case. The next day we'll work on Derek's case. Like that, we'll take turns on each other's case. And Derek telling me what to do right over here, right over here. Do this, do that. And um, at the same time as he telling me what to do, I'm learning. And basically what I was doing was lawyer shopping. I'm submitting a big packet with all my evidence, with my affidavits, my DD5, crime scene sketches that I drew, trying to get some help from the outside. I wrote every actual innocent project. I wrote governors. I wrote the president. I wrote everywhere, Jason. Every, anywhere you can think of, I wrote. And at this time, Derek ended up going home in 2011. So Derek always told me, listen, I'm not going to forget about you. Once I make it home, I'm there. I got you. I'm not going to forget. And I don't heard that so many times, Jason, being in here that, you know, guys tell you, listen, they're going to go home, do this, and guys just go home and live their life. So I'm like, wow, man, I hope Derek don't do this to me, you know? And Derek went home and kept his word, Jason. He put Justin on my case, and from there, we gathered more evidence, and I'm where I'm at today. Derek has been on the show. Danny Rincon, Chewbacca Shakur. I mean, all these people are people I know well. And I've talked often about the awesome power that you guys collectively manifested, all of whom had been through the same experience at the hands of the same people and setting up basically a law firm inside the walls of the prison. You know, call it whatever you want, Shakur, Cruz, Hamilton, and Rincon. I could see it on a letterhead, and hopefully someday you guys will actually form a law firm on the outside, because I think you guys would be incredible together. Derek, when he was on Wrongful Conviction, I was like, oh my God, this is like interviewing a Yale law professor. I mean, this guy is on fire. (laughs) So knowledgeable. That is my mentor, by the way, Derek. We call him um, Google Legal. Give him a fact, and he'll give you a case. And Nelson, you should know it's Derek, but it's not just Derek. I mean, all of us are just super committed to seeing you get home and get on with your life. So Nelson litigated his case. He filed a a motion to vacate. He filed an appeal and got shot down at every every turn over the past 20 years. And so the hearing that we were finally granted in uh, 2019, and the evidence that we presented was, uh, it was quite astounding. I mean, obviously we called Officer Pietti in again, who said that he did not see Nelson Cruz at the scene before, after, or during the crime. We called William Harden, who was across the street, watched the ponytailed man kill his friend. He knew Trevor Vieira and did not see Nelson Cruz there. He saw the police pull up at the scene. And then we called William Johnson, who was the other man that was arrested at the scene. And he testified that he knew Nelson Cruz and he did not see Nelson Cruz at the scene. I mean, those are three eyewitnesses. We called two alibi witnesses, Ralph Johnson. And the only questions that the DA had for Ralph Johnson was, did he eat his Chinese food or not that night? That's how solid Ralph Johnson was on the witness stand. Another alibi witness, Bonnie Cooper, who was at the time Andre Bellinger's mistress, testified that Andre Bellinger admitted to her he never saw the crime 
Christopher Cooper, Bonnie Cooper's son, who was playing basketball with Andre Bellinger that night. Chris Cooper testified that Bellinger couldn't have seen it because the shooting had already happened by the time they get there. We also called Jay Salpeter, who was a private investigator, who interviewed Andre Bellinger. And he asked Andre Bellinger, why didn't you mention the police or Eduardo Rodriguez? And Bellinger told Jay Salpeter that the police never told him that Rodriguez or the police were at the scene. I mean, and we called Jermaine Frazier, the, the man Shaq, who Bellinger said started this whole thing off. And Shaq testified that he never pulled a gun out on Nelson, that there was never a dispute that night, that that's all false. You know, of course, we called Scarcella and Camille and, you know, Scarcella has amnesia. He can remember what he was wearing in 1973. But when you ask him about the case that you're talking about now, he can't remember anything. But Mark Brooks puts him and Camille right with Andre Bellinger before the lineup. I mean, this was such a bad blowout that April 12th, 2019, I made an oral argument and also on paper to release Nelson on bail, which is astounding in the middle of a post-conviction hearing. It was going that bad that I said in the interest of justice that this court should release him. And Judge Simpson on that day said that Louis Scarcella was totally involved with this case. Andre Bellinger was unreliable and that Chris and Bonnie Cooper, she found to be reliable witnesses. That was April. By August, she was in another in another place. You know, God bless Shondaya with what happened. But I knew something strange was going on while she was presiding over my hearing. Jason, she was, you know, moving funny. You know, she'll, she'll be giving credit to certain of my witnesses' testimony. And then later on, when Justin highlights it to her, it's like, she's lost. Jason's like, she don't know, like, what happened a couple of days ago. And at the end, when I went for decision on August 29th, when she denied my motion, Jason, I was, like, lost. But we found out that, you know, she was mentally ill with Alzheimer's. Had she been in her right state of mind, I would have been home already, you know? There's no question. You know, Nelson is referring to a very respected judge from the Brooklyn Supreme Court who was known for her willingness to vacate wrongful convictions. Her name was, is Shondaya Simpson, and she had ordered due trials previously for other men who had been also framed by Luis Garcella. Listen to this quote. In the case of someone named Hargrove, Judge Simpson had this to say specifically about Scarcella. The pattern and practice of Scarcella's conduct, which manifests a disregard for rules, law, and the truth, undermines our judicial system and gives cause for a new review of the evidence. I mean, she just called it out like it was. And here it is again, right in front of her. But the craziest twist of fate was that this poor woman, who's not an old lady, right? She was in her young 50s. She had early onset Alzheimer's. And she just literally lost the plot. When I was listening to her decision on August 29th, 2019, the first decision she read off, I argued orally. She left the bench totally abruptly. A court officer came out and told us to come back after lunch. And when she came back out after lunch, she read off another decision, which I was left wondering what hearing that she sat through. Her decision is based on an erroneous understanding of what we put forward. I mean, it's that we presented Eduardo Rodriguez as our witness for a self-defense claim, which we never took that position. We always took the position that Eduardo Rodriguez was the killer. The prosecutor put Eduardo Rodriguez on the witness stand. So she misstated that. I mean, there's video of it. The uh, crust of the hearing and this decision falls on the following. Rodriguez testified at his hearing that the victim fired the first shot at Cruz and that Cruz shot back in self-defense. 
the defense claims both that Rodriguez is unreliable and at the same time asks that the court find his testimony supports a claim of self-defense and that this constitutes new evidence. For this reason, the motion must be denied. You want to say something? Never claim that Rodriguez was newly discovered evidence. Claim that Rodriguez was unreliable from day one. Well, they put him on. That's their evidence. They put evidence on that contradicted the only evidence that was at trial, which is Andre Bollinger, right? One witness who says the police told him who did it, who says the police told him what weapon was used, who even testifies that the police told him that Cruz was in the lineup. How reliable is that witness? And then we hear from a witness, the witness that is the first person who points to Nelson Cruz. He has a motive, Eduardo Rodriguez, has a motive to lie, and then 15 years later says it's self-defense. We don't take his position. That's evidence that they put before the court. We're going to believe that on the day of his birthday, he kills somebody? Unfortunately, in cases like this, the law doesn't really protect a 17-year-old. I make my point that Rodriguez wasn't our witness. And she calls everybody up to the bench, schedules a re-argument. She never provides a written decision and tells us to come back in December of uh, 2019. We can do 12-16, be back on 12-16, that's a Monday. I've shared this video with the district attorney, myself. I like Eric personally. I do have a lot of respect for him. I'm completely confused as to why this case has been ignored when I came back from court last year, you know, I pulled out my typewriter and I started writing numerous letters to Eric Gonzalez, to people under him, and never received a response. There's a very powerful quote where you said in a letter to Eric Gonzalez, I know deep in my heart something went wrong at my hearing. I know me reaching out to you may not be the proper way to go about it, but I truly need help in this matter and feel that you have the power to step in and conduct an investigation. And of course, a year after the hearing in early August 2020, it was confirmed that Judge Simpson had early onset Alzheimer's and she retired. You know, they should be ashamed of what they're doing with me. Something went wrong during these proceedings. Something was wrong with the judge and you got the power to intervene. You got a CRU unit there, which, you know, I think ever since Kenneth Thompson died, they not following what Kenneth Thompson was doing. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite in powerful conversations. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. I want you all to join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. In every episode, we gather a seasoned elder. But even with a child, there's no such thing as the wrong thing if you love them. Myself, as the middle generation... I don't feel like I have to get married at this big age in life, but it is a desire I have and something that I've navigated in dating and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations. I'm very jealous of your generation (laughs) that didn't have to deal with Instagram and Tinder. This is Across Generations, where Black women's voices unite, and together, you know how we do, we create magic. magic. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robey, and me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. Thank you for taking the light, and you're going to shine it all over the world, and it makes me really happy. I never imagined that I would get the chance to carry this honor and help be a part of this legacy. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Ding dong, Las Culturistas calling. iHeart Podcast Awards 2023 Podcast of the Year, Las Culturistas, with SNL's Bowen Yang and comedian Matt Rogers. There's stuff happening in 2024 that we really need to address. Pop culture and huge guests like the latest episode with Dua Lipa. The more I think about it, the more scared and nervous I get. Listen to the newest episode of Las Culturistas with Dua Lipa and all episodes on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search Las Culturistas to start listening. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and I'm back for another season of my podcast, Climbing in Heels. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as fully obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. My podcast, Climbing in Heels, is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season, we're taking things up a notch. I'll be talking to some incredible women across so many industries, from models and beauty industry stars to doctors, entrepreneurs, and TV personalities. Climbing in Heels is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Every week, listeners will be able to ask me any questions. I'm answering it all. My life is absolutely crazy with so much going on, and I'm so beyond excited to bring you along for the ride. Whether we're talking red carpet looks, current trends, or products I'm obsessed with, I'm here to be your fashion fairy godmother. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So, Justin, a re-argument was granted. It's tragic what happened to poor Judge Shandaya Simpson. What the fuck happens now? So, in a normal course, the judge will issue a written decision. The court will enter the decision. She granted the motion to re-argue, which is very, very, very rare. She never issues a written decision. The court doesn't even enter this decision, which is what has to be done. So almost a year goes by, and in August of 2020, we find out that Judge Simpson has been diagnosed with Alzheimer's. So then Judge Demick, the administrative judge, assigns Raymond L. Rodriguez to the case. So we filed a re-argument, and Judge Rodriguez told us that he wouldn't hear any of these filings, that the only thing that was in front of him was Judge Simpson's competency during the hearing and when she rendered her decision. Right, but which decision? The initial denial of the motion to vacate or the decision to grant a re-argument? You bring up a phenomenal point. This is a very confusing procedural history. He tells us in January of 2021 that the motion to re-argue was taken off the calendar. He was not going to hear it. The only thing he ruled on is her oral decision denying the motion to vacate the conviction and the motion to vacate her decision based upon her competency. He basically says that I'm not going to deal with the fact that she granted re-argument which I don't know how he does that. She already granted it. And then on March 1st, 2021, Judge Raymond Rodriguez determined that she was competent and upheld her oral decision to deny Nelson Cruz's motion to vacate. And it's very interesting because 
in our motion to vacate Judge Simpson's decision that we filed back on August of 2020, we had an affidavit from an investigator that spoke to her husband. We also had a ProPublica article where the husband spoke and said that he had noticed that Judge Simpson's mental health had been slipping as far back as the summer of 2018, which is almost a year before Nelson Cruz's actual hearing, let alone the decision. So Judge Rodriguez said that all of that information was speculative and said, I see how she could come to her decision. There's a reasonable basis for her decision. I don't know how he comes to that decision because he's not a doctor. And to be frank, I mean, he's not a mind reader. So Judge Rodriguez's decision, we're filing leave to appeal. We're also filing a motion to compel a written decision from the Supreme Court because it's our position that Judge Simpson's oral decision wasn't effectively a decision. It was never filed. It was never signed off on by her. And how could she sign off on it two days after she was in court and rendered that decision? She went on medical leave because she was suffering from Alzheimer's. So, Justin, this case is just fucking outrageous. And I know a lot of our listeners are going to want to do something after they hear this. So what kind of action can just a regular person take? We set up a petition on uh, change.org. They can sign off on the petition and prayerfully the Brooklyn DA's office and the judges in Brooklyn will see people signing off on this petition. There's going to be a link in the bio. You can take an action that will add up to making a difference and getting the attention to this awful case that it deserves. And now this is the part of the show that we call Closing Arguments. And this is where I, first of all, thank both of you for being here. Justin Bonus, criminal defense attorney, and Nelson Cruz, wrongfully convicted from behind bars. Thank you both for being here. And now I'm going to turn my microphone off and listen to each of you share your final thoughts on whatever you want to talk about. And so let's leave... The best for last, of course, that's Nelson Cruz. And first, over to you, Justin, for closing arguments. I just want to make it clear to everybody that this is a disgrace. Mountains of evidence show that this man is innocent. And the DA's office has the ability to interview our witnesses. Our witnesses were consistent in the conviction review process. Their witnesses weren't consistent. And believe me, they treated our witnesses differently than they treated their witnesses. And this is just, it's disgraceful. Andre Bellinger came in in 2019 and he said his trial testimony was truthful. He maintained his trial testimony, which is that they told him what type of gun was used. They told him that it was Nelson Cruz. They told him Eduardo Rodriguez wasn't reliable. They told him they needed him because Eduardo Rodriguez wasn't reliable. They told him that Nelson Cruz was going to be in the lineup. This is the only piece of evidence that convicted Nelson Cruz. I I don't really know if I have to say anything more other than you heard what I said about what was presented at the hearing. And that's without saying that Scarcella and Stephen Camille were involved in this case. To, To top it off, they were involved. If ever there was a case that was presented in court where clear and convincing evidence was presented that a man was actually innocent, it was Nelson Cruz's case. Nelson, over to you for the last word. Thank you, first of all, Jason, for uh, sharing my story in the air. And uh, like my attorney, Justin Bonas, just said right now, uh, I'm just hoping with all the, you know, the amount of evidence that I have shown that I ain't commit this crime in the next days, next few weeks, or the next months coming, um, I'll be exonerated. I'm just, you know, praying to get out of here. Enough is enough. You know, I done suffered 
a lot in here. I done lost my parents since I've been incarcerated. It's been hard for me. It's been hard for me, you know. Sometimes I get frustrated and, um, you know, I lose hope. But I, I fight against it. I, I move forward. I move forward. And, um, you know, once again, thank you, Jason. I appreciate you. And, you know, everyone that's listening, I hope y'all heard my story. Y'all, y'all hearing it from me directly. And that's what's been going on with me for almost 23 years. Thank you for listening to Wrongful Conviction with Jason Flom. Please support your local Innocence Projects and go to the link in our bio to see how you can help. I'd like to thank our production team, Connor Hall, Jeff Clyburn, and Kevin Wardis. The music on the show, as always, is by three-time Oscar-nominated composer Jay Ralph. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Wrongful Conviction and on Facebook at Wrongful Conviction Podcast. Wrongful Conviction with Jason Flom is a production of Lava for Good Podcast in association with Signal Company Number 1. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at, at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see See what music does to people. It gives me a lot of hope. If you liked Locatora before, you're going to love Season 9. Subscribe to our show and you'll see why Locatora is your prima's favorite podcast. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elia Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A rested child is a happy child. Sleep Tight Stories is a weekly podcast that brings comfort and joy to families worldwide with calming bedtime stories. The stories are relevant to children and spark wonder without overstimulation, so they can fall asleep and stay asleep. Listen to Sleep Tight Stories on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
or a bedtime routine you'll miss when they're grown? Sleep Tight Stories.